Murph. It's Lushy Stop, Murph. Hello and welcome back to Slushy Stop. This is Nathan and I'm joined by Jake. Uh, just Jake this time because Alex is being a responsible father. He's too busy for us uh, uh, people without children and everything. So, you know, us bums, we're going to carry the load for now. Uh, but he'll be back here and there when he can. So, if you haven't seen already by the title, we are starting a new series where we're talking about Christopher Nolan movies. And today we are going to do something a little different. We are going to talk about some topics around Interstellar. A fantastic movie, if I do say so myself. Agreed. Uh, Interstellar is my favorite movie of all time, outside of a franchise. So, I have plenty of things. I could talk about this movie all day long. I recently sort of forced it on a coworker at my job. There are two of us in the marketing department, and she's never seen any movie ever. Um, <laughs> she's seen... And I mean, like, no, no, never seen Star Wars, never seen Indiana Jones. Tell me she's never seen The Dark Knight. I'm not sure if I believe that because literally everyone's seen The Dark Knight. Yeah. Has seen some of the Harry Potter movies. How that even happens is beyond me. So I was like, all right, if you've never seen anything else, the only way this relationship is going to work is if you at least watch this movie so you understand <laughs> where I'm coming from as a person. Yes, because when it comes to Christopher Nolan... Obviously, it's very easy to talk about his Batman trilogy, and of course, we'll we'll touch on that. But we're going to start with maybe with his some of his non-Batman movies. And so, since we're not doing a, a long review or anything, we are assuming that you've seen it. So you know, spoilers ahead, those sorts of things. And we're actually going to kind of talk about some topics around the movie instead of specific, you know just a review of it. So, for instance, what I want to kind of touch on is I feel like. Often there are some comparisons made because Christopher Nolan, like while he makes big blockbustery type movies, um, he also tries to make somewhat intelligent movies too. You know, they have strong themes in them. Uh, I mean, even like your Batman movies that I mean, it's about a guy running around in a costume, and yet there are some major themes, powerful themes going on in them, and especially Interstellar. I mean, you have like the whole relationship between a father and a daughter, the apocalypse. I mean, not going quietly <laughs> into the night, as Michael Caine says multiple times throughout this movie. Gently. Do, do not go gently yes. into that. Yes. Night. Thank you. Thank you for uh, quoting it <laughs> directly for us. <laughs> and so so it's easy to, to for there to be a comparison between Christopher Nolan and someone like a Stanley Kubrick who, for those of you who don't know, you know, he's the director of 2001 Space Odyssey, The Shining, uh, Eyes Wide Shut, you know, a handful of these movies that are held to this high bar, critically, and everything. And so it's easy to see, especially in something like Interstellar, where there's a lot of similar imagery and things like that between it and 2001. And so I just kind of wanted to talk about, kind of compare and contrast somebody like a Nolan to a Kubrick and just see see what comes of that conversation. So, Jake, like, how familiar are you with Kubrick and some of his work? So I, I've never seen 2001. Um, I've read a lot about it. Just for whatever reason, I've never taken the initiative to seek it out and actually watch it. I know that 
in Star Wars Episode One in Wada's junkyard. There's a little one of the, the the ship from the movie is like laying off in the background as a little Easter egg. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm I would say pretty pretty clear as far as my my knowledge of it. I know virtually nothing, so I'm here to be educated. So so the thing with Kubrick is like he he definitely. Like one of the things I would say that maybe he has in common with Christopher Nolan is that he doesn't do a lot of things that are on the nose. When you watch his movies, like if you're looking at it just superficially as as what's happening on the surface, it can be tough to follow, like almost nonsensical at times because everything is about the subtext and what's going on beneath the surface. And that's especially true of something like 2001 where... I mean, the surface level story is basically about some astronauts that go off into the space uh, with this AI that eventually goes rogue, kills one of the astronauts, and the other one essentially defeats it. But then even at the third act, though, you have kind of this trippy uh, experience where like the, the astronauts kind of goes through this portal and he ends up in this room. He turns into an old man and then literally like at the very end. He's turned into this giant space baby that comes back to Earth. It's all very, like I said, on the surface, it's really hard to read. But if you look at it under the surface, though, it's basically this long, big metaphor about the journey of discovery and enlightenment. And that's where, like, you know, even in the beginning of the movie, you have that whole, that famous scene with the apes and the bone, things like that, because that's all just kind of showing the progression of the intelligence, the enlightenment of man. But again, none of that's spelled out in the movie or anything like that. Mm-hmm. You're left to just try to figure that out on your own. And honestly, like even myself, when I first watched the movie, I was like, what the heck did I just see? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it sounds like, you know, definitely down my road for sure. I mean, that's one of the big things I love about Nolan, particularly with Interstellar. Like, yeah, it's a sci-fi movie. It's about space travel and, you know, special effects and black holes and science and stuff. But at its core, it's more about like the importance of family mm-hmm. and the the two things that can cross space and time are gravity and love, as Anne Hathaway says. So that's a big theme in this. And also just the it's it's very much also about the human condition, which I'll sort of get to a little bit later. So yeah, like no, there's no no Christopher Nolan movie is just like look at this. May I mean you could maybe argue it for Dunkirk because it's more of a almost like a war reenactment mm, than almost a documentary in some ways. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But other than that, like. There is no Nolan movie that's just a movie. Like, I think Nolan is one of the few directors where you can rightfully call everything that he does a film. Mm-hmm. Because a movie and a film are two totally different things. Like, you're not going to call the Transformers movies films. Like, <laughs> those are movies. That that's you. You don't call the Fast and the Furious films. Like, nah, that's that's a movie. You go see that. You have you go to the movies. You watch that. It's fun. You leave. You're in a good mood the rest of the mm-hmm. night. You go see a Nolan film and you get out and you're like, all right, I'm going to stew on this for the next three days and um, maybe go see it again to see if I understand it a little bit better. <laughs> yeah, and, and to me, that is that is ultimately like the big distinction between Nolan and Kubrick because Kubrick, I mean, he's he's gone on record. I mean, he's not alive anymore, but when he was alive, he went on record saying that in his movies, they were meant to be this puzzle 
that really kind of pushed people's, you know, level of thinking to try to bring them to that greater enlightenment and things like that. So they're not really made to be accessible, especially not for your general wider audiences and everything. Mm-hmm. Whereas Nolan, he he clearly does make it very much, much more accessible while also not not necessarily like pandering to people or talking down to them either. Mm-hmm. I was trying to think of a good metaphor or something like that for it. Stanley Kubrick, what he'll do is he'll give you an almond or something like that. Like it's something that's nutritious that will give you some value, but like by itself, it's kind of plain and not necessarily the most enjoyable thing to (laughs) ingest and everything. Whereas Nolan, he'll give you like a chocolate covered goji berry or one of those other like (laughs) super, super nutritious things that, yeah, it's, it's just as good for you, but it's also made very enjoyable, Mm -hmm. uh, a, a very enjoyable experience while you're doing it. And you can basically get out of it you know, whatever you want to. Like, if you want just that more superficial, fun ride, you can get that. But if you're somebody like me who wants something a little bit deeper or something like that, you can, there's plenty of, of those layers there that you can dive into at the same time. Yeah, I think that definitely applies to this movie because, yeah, if you just want like a cool sci fi movie with special effects, oh. you can definitely get that out of this. I think, I think this movie may run a little bit long for those people that are just in, in there for the sci fi aspects, mm-hmm. but. You know, it's it's still there. The special effects are incredible. The sound is amazing. The soundtrack is even better. Oh, yeah. It's definitely much more than just a, a sci-fi movie. Like, there's so many layers to this. There's so much underlying meaning to everything. So, yeah, I can definitely see where you're coming from on that. I don't... Did 2001... Was it in late 60s or early 70s? I want to say it was like 68 or something. I'm not sure. Yes, it was 68. Yeah. So, I mean, it was a precursor to Star Wars. Yeah, because, I mean, obviously, knowing me, Star Wars is my thing. And obviously, a movie like that's going to be hugely influential to any sci-fi that came after it, but especially so immediately after it. And it seems like I, you know, the, everyone knows, like, Star Wars is George Lucas's take on Flash Gordon and Kurosawa films and stuff just melded together. But I know 2001 had a lot of um, influence on it as well because of, you know, how it, the, the groundbreaking special effects and all of that and its portrayal of space travel and that sort of thing. I know George, I know George Lucas definitely took a few cues from there which which is another reason why I'm surprised I've never made the taken the initiative to watch it and I know I should um I just kind of haven't so maybe after this that'll be what I do today <laughs> yeah and so that's where like you know similarly between Kubrick in 2001 and Nolan in this I mean these are two filmmakers that they're experts at their craft like they're they're very well made films but the key difference between the two is really just that accessibility that you're able to take away from them. I mean, you even have, I mean, you even have details down to like they both feature ships that have that uh, circular look about it's a, them it's and everything. A, it's a very realistic portrayal of, well, I guess, what I would imagine a intergalactic spaceship to look like. You know, mm-hmm. the 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 Millennium Falcon, as cool as it may be, is not exactly realistic. Same with an <laughs> X-Wing. Like, they look awesome, but that's not going to hold up flying from here to Mars, much less to, to another galaxy. No. But, yeah, like, Nolan's portrayal of it and from the things that you're telling me and what I've read, Kubrick as well, like, they're, 
they're, they're very sci-fi-y, they're very futuristic and whatever, but they're also very much grounded in reality. And I think that's a really cool concept. And that's one of the, the big things that always stands out to me every single time I watch Interstellar, uh, which is pretty regularly. With the exception of a handful of shots here and there, like, you know, when they're passing Saturn and first coming up on Gargantua, the the black hole, other than a few of those that are obviously heavy CGI, all of the shots of the ship are framed like as though the camera's just like mounted to the side of it. And mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to tell what's going on. And same with the beginning of the movie when Cooper is having the dream of him crashing the ship or whatever at the beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really difficult to tell what's going on, but it makes it seem so much more realistic because that's maybe what a spaceship would look like. And you, in order to keep that that uh, that realistic aspect I, th- I just think that's a, a very cool way to do it. it it makes it seem much more plausible i guess mm-hmm. for sure so um so yeah so that that, that was just kind of the, my, my big thing my big takeaway especially this last time watching it nice yeah my big thing watching it this most recent time uh it was about two weeks ago i think so right now the the talk over the entire planet is the the coronavirus everyone's stuck inside and quarantined and Mm -hmm. pretty pretty dire reality we're living in at the moment and so i've I've thought about it before but never really in these terms but something i find kind of interesting is the idea of the inevitability maybe of of the world of interstellar Mm -hmm. Uh, you know we're meant to assume that it takes place in the future but probably the pretty near future you know they're still going to yankees games and stuff the yankees are just way smaller <laughs> and the whole premise of interstellar other than space travel of course the the reason for the space travel is humans have exhausted the earth's natural resources to the point that the only thing left that is possible to be grown is corn for food and the entire planet is now like suffering from this blight because global warming's gotten out of control or whatever else has, has caused it. Mm-hmm. But it's all very much the effects of of the human race and our evolving to a point that the earth can't really withstand anymore. And so, you know, they're fighting these dust storms and stuff all the time. And so as morbid as it may be, I think, you know, maybe we are we're not getting to that point anytime soon. But, you know, you look at, like, the things that are going on in the world right now, mm-hmm. and it's like, I mean, how, how long is it until we do get to that point? Because, you know, we're not slowing down. Like, sure, there, there are car companies like Tesla and even, you know, the general ones, Toyota, Ford, all that, putting out electric cars. But they're, they're not the standard yet, and they're, I think they're, are a f- it's going to be a while before that is the case. And so we're still using fossil fuels and, like, coal mining while it's, shrunk a lot it's it's still a pretty decently big industry and all of that stuff is objectively terrible for the environment so how long until we're in a situation like this and are we ready for that and you know fortunately i don't think we're in a position where we're going to be hopping through a black hole near saturn yet like you know, we're we're sending another rover to Mars in July, but nobody's going nobody's going with it. So, yeah, that's a really interesting topic to me, and I think that was that was a very cool idea from Christopher and Jonathan Nolan and Kip Thorne. I assume uh, they worked with him for a long time to get the science right uh, before shooting the movie. 
But I think that's a really interesting thing to frame the movie around is just the the reality of what our position in the world is right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Matthew McConaughey has my favorite line in the movie, one of my favorite lines of all time uh, that sums it up really well. And he says, we used to look up at the sky and wonder about our place in the stars. Now we just look down and worry about our place in the dirt. And like that hits so hard because it's, it seems really close to home mm. in my opinion. Yeah, it definitely, you know, watching this movie with current events going on, it does, it does frame it a little bit differently because while, while the movie presents a lot of hope and everything, I mean, in the end, yeah, to, to maybe be a little bit more on the somber side, like as far as we know, we don't have a Matthew McConaughey who is, you know, traversing the stars and everything looking for a new home for us right now. Like, the earth is all we have at this point. Yeah. So we do have a responsibility to be, you know, good shepherds and to take care of it as best as we can, even in even in the face of a pandemic and uh, limited resources and everything else going on. So, so yeah, it's definitely important to be mindful of these things and to make sure that you're that you're you're, you're trying to do everything that you that you personally can. Now, you know, none of us. A lot of us aren't a big protagonist who can change everything themselves. It's more about what can we do to band together. Because you see, you do see some of that in the movie. I mean, you have NASA, which is maybe not a huge focus of the movie, but it's there. And you can see that there are a lot of people working together to try to, you know, right the ship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I don't want to get into politics or anything like that or any views on the the way things work in the world. But I think one thing that Nolan did really well in this movie is, you know, you have Murph, Matthew McConaughey's uh, daughter, who grows up and she goes to work for NASA. And, you know, she's still very sore about her, her dad leaving and not knowing when he's coming back, not knowing if all of that sort of sort of stuff. But she still goes to work to try to help Michael Caine's character solve this equation to so that they can you know, move humanity to this other place. But then on the flip side of that, you have her brother who kind of gets the short end of the stick in the movie anyway. It's kind of like, there definitely seems to be some favoritism (laughs) amongst the two kids, but that's a totally different conversation. (laughs) But you have him on the other side who has no interest in saving the world, who, you know, when Murph goes over to have lunch with them or whatever, and his son is coughing, like Murph asks, like, you know, I've got some friends that are doctors, they could look at his lungs. And the wife is like, no, don't say anything. And then mm-hmm. the the son is very resistant to any idea about that. And I think that's really interesting because that's kind of the position that we're in. It seems like there aren't really a lot of people that are just like, yeah, recycling's good. It's either like you should recycle every possible thing that you can all the time. And then there are the other people that's just like, no, nah, let's just dump oil in the river because it's cheaper. And I, f- I feel like that's that's Murph and that's the son, whatever his the character's name is. I'm blanking on it for some reason. So, yeah, I think that's that that is a big problem is with with humans is our inability to come together. And I mean, that's one thing that we're seeing right now with the, the coronavirus and all that. People are coming together in ways that they haven't in a very long time. But even now, like I'm still seeing some people post things on Instagram like. I saw one the other day when someone was 
talking about the the quarantines and uh, how every state and city are issuing these these uh, stay at home bills and stuff like that and the it was a meme and it was like every state ever you know you should stay home and then Tennessee and it says or what and it's like that's not mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not the way we should be thinking right now so yeah it's uh, I guess kind of tie the two topics together Christopher Nolan you know there's always things in his movies that you know relate to the 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 current climate and everything without getting overly political mm-hmm. probably the most political he gets is some of the obvious uh one percenter stuff in like the dark knight rises and and stuff like that but yeah. usually it's very subtle. Yeah, and like dark knight like joker joker and dark knight is very much a domestic terrorist yeah uh, and it's it's a very much a post 9 11 kind of thing but so yeah he definitely does yes, that but it's never too heavy-handed he's good at making it subtle and so that's where like yeah looking at the children you can see where one definitely represents the side of, you know, we, we need to keep fighting for what's right, what needs to be done versus the side that's like, that's basically already defeated that like, well, there's nothing that I, that, that we can do. Like, let's just roll over in the dirt and be done sort of a thing. Yeah. Just keep doing what we're doing and not even try. Yeah. So again, it, it to, to tie it back together, like you, you do have those interesting things that again, they're not thrown in your face. They're just, they're there under the surface for you to, and just if you want to, or to, to gloss mm-hmm. over. Yeah, Nolan is the master of that. It's very much like, you couldn't, I don't think you could watch a Nolan movie and see his opinions on the one percenters, or on the, you like, he just sort of presents it all like, this is the way things are. And he leaves it at that. He doesn't really lean more one way or the other. And... I just think that's awesome. Like using the platform that he has, you know, he's one of the few directors that other than ex- excluding the dark Knight movies, he doesn't do sequels. He just does these huge major massive blockbusters. And he's one of the few directors that no matter what he does, people are flocking to the theaters to see it just based on the fact that he's associated with it. And so he uses that power that he has in the entertainment industry to just sort of present things the way that you are and leave it to you to interpret it as you will. And I just think that's really, really cool. Mm-hmm. It almost makes it like a a buffet. You kind of can just pick and choose what you want, but you got you got plenty to choose from, that's for sure. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, let's go ahead and change gears here. Uh, we want to wrap this episode up, though, by just quickly hitting on some of our our top space movies because interstellar is obviously very much a space adventure so like for me i mean yes interstellar is up there it's magnificent well <laughs> all the way around this is still slushy stop so therefore star wars is certainly part of that conversation yeah for sure um <laughs> so yeah um my three favorite space movies would have to be star wars you know meaning a new hope uh empire strikes back and return of the jedi in that order um yeah i think that sums it up <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, I mean, I'm not kidding. But for the for the sake of this, yeah, uh, Star Wars, obviously, number one. And then, as I said at the top of the show, Interstellar is outside of a franchise. Interstellar is my favorite movie ever. So that's a, a hard number two for sure. And, I, you know, I, I put a lot of thought into this for number three. And there's just so, so many good ones that I don't know if I could really nail nail one down. Like, 
I want to put even put in Guardians of the Galaxy, like not a super serious space movie, but like mm, no. their space travel and it's a, it's a blast. Um, and it's well you know, done. It yeah, is I, very well I, done. I mean, I mean, pitch black, like maybe not so much a space movie, more maybe more just sci-fi. But it's definitely space horror, like in the vein of Alien and Aliens, the original, those yeah. original ones. Yeah, some of the other ones that, gosh, yeah, I kept tossing around were like The Last Starfighter. I know it's mm-hmm. this like cheesy '80s movie, but like still love <laughs> that thing to death, and it's very much a space movie. I mean, it's almost, in a lot of ways, a ripoff of of Star Wars, at least some of those ideal ideas mm-hmm. and everything. Or it can even be something as as funny and stupid as Rocket Man, that Disney movie with uh, Harlan Williams, where <laughs> it's a, a mission to Mars and everything. Like, yeah, it's not the most serious space movie, but gosh, it is hilarious. Another one that I thought of, I don't know if you remember it. I don't remember anything about it. I know I owned it as a kid on VHS, but Titan AE. Do you remember that? It was, I don't know that it was a space movie so much as a sci-fi movie, but it was like <laughs> animated, but like an animated version of Star Wars and the Matrix melded together. And it was just so mm-hmm. cool. I remember virtually nothing about it, but I remember it being awesome when I was a kid. Well, that's a great thing, I guess, about space is like we know a lot about it, but at the same time, we also don't. So there's almost kind of like this, there's still this mystique. Yeah, this this blank page that you can work with that you can kind of, you know, put your own ideas into mm-hmm. and do some really interesting things with. Yeah, I mean, uh, Space Jam, like <laughs> great <laughs> space movie. <laughs> no, not to, and not to be super generic or anything, but like. Honestly, I didn't think it would live up to the hype, but the first time I watched Gravity, I was mind blown. Like, maybe just, not so much on the story level, maybe just on the, you know, the CG graphics level and, you know, the way that uh, space is portrayed, but that movie is gorgeous. It is beautiful, and, mm-hmm. you know, it sort of deals with the whole human condition kind of thing in the same way that Interstellar does, so... Yeah, I mean, I might even put that up there on my list. Like, it, sure, it, it might might have been a little overhyped and stuff, but I think it's an incredible movie. And it's super short, which I really like. Just get in, do what you got to do, get out. Yep. Don't waste time meandering. Sure. So I think on that note, that's a great place for us to, to wrap up. And if you haven't seen Interstellar, you know, definitely recommend it. Recommend All day. Checking it out, or if you haven't seen it in a while... You should totally, totally check it out. I mean, you've got plenty of time, right? Like, you're being quarantined right now. <laughs> yeah, so. for that matter, Inter- Interstellar <laughs> is the only movie that I own that I know for a fact I've watched every one of the special features on. I might not have known what all of them were talking about. Like, I know there's one documentary with Kip Thorne where it's like the science of it, and they explain it pretty pretty deeply. And I'm like, cool, I don't know what he's talking about or what any of this means, but it sounds awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely watch this movie repeatedly. Because even after having seen it so many times, after this most recent time that I watched it, I went home and was like looking up articles that I'd already read in the past about it, like trying to understand it more. So, you know, it's it's great. I would recommend it. And especially if you're into any sort of science or anything like that. You know, I know Kip Thorne has said multiple times that it while it is, of course, Hollywoodified or whatever, um, it is very accurate on most of the science and one of the big things that came of it was the uh the representation of a black hole like i don't know if this was the first time that it had necessarily been done in a movie but it was the first time it had been done accurately as far as i'm aware i think i remember reading that the, so if you're into science at all 
here that that's a good excuse to check this out. Yep. Again, there's literally like something for everybody in it. So. Yeah, for sure. And it's by no means Nolan's most complex movie either. We'll we'll get into those here soon. So was that a tease? Was that a tease for the Prestige? Are you are you trying to trying to hype your <laughs> your choice here? I wasn't trying to name any names, but uh, the Prestige is definitely up there. So uh, well, we appreciate you joining us today. It's been fun, and we'll see you guys next time. Later.